This CTN Brandcast is brought to you by Astia. This is CTN Brandcast on CIO Talk Network. This is a sponsored program, and CTN does not endorse the mentioned products or services. All views and opinions are those of the sponsor, its staff, and management. Welcome, listeners. This is Sanjog All, your host, and the topic for conversation is reimagining service to maximize revenue and profitability. A great customer experience typically generates more revenue from each customer. It's the logic that has shaped how most service organizations approach improving profitability. But is it how the world's best service organizations think? How do they not just leave customers happy, but also present them with both an opportunity and a valid reason to buy more? Joining me is David Gianetto. David is the Chief Operations Officer with STA International, a global provider of end-to-end service management software solutions. Hello, David. Thank you for joining us. Hi, it's great to be with you today. So, David, when it comes to service organizations maximizing revenue and profitability, you must see a wide range of approaches to this challenge. Can you shed some light on how service organizations create a sales-oriented service culture? Sure, I'm happy to. You know, it's interesting because I just came back from a two-week tour down through our Asia-Pacific region and and during that trip, I met with uh, one of our clients on a workshop day that I was fortunate enough to sit in. And like many of our clients, they're a, a global leader in service uh, within their industry. And even within that room of about 15 folks that were their service leadership from all, all across the region, uh, there were two different schools of thoughts. And uh, it's it's kind of important to understand those two different perspectives because when folks are listening to this, it, they can kind of reflect on which bucket is their organization and how do they go from one to another. So what, what we see, either groups of people or entire service organizations, is, is very traditional thinkers. They're really focused on efficiency of service activities, very traditional metrics, first time fixed rate, um, windshield time, productive routing, things like that. Uh, but it's, it's what we think of as a traditional service mindset that most of us can identify with. But then beyond that, there's this whole other group, and they're still thinking about the same things, but those basic uh, efficiency-type things are really just the cost of doing business. Their mindset is really that they must be efficient in order to differentiate themselves and their offerings to provide a great customer experience and become what what you hear me refer to as this trusted advisor to their customer where it's not just transactional anymore. And as a result of this, they can use that relationships and each service interaction to actually sell more um, to that customer, upsell, cross-sell, resell during every interaction and orient those relationships towards the most profitable contracts and warranties and SLA. Um, so those are the two groups. and and. And how they go about creating that is really what we think of as creating a sales-oriented service culture. And it's something I'm sure we'll get into today. Um, but it starts with a management mindset. How do they measure, socialize, and analyze the customer journey You know, from the time they create a service contract all the way through those daily interactions, either for break, fix, or uh, preventive maintenance? And, and ideally, what they're doing is not just creating that happy customer. Uh, but creating a customer that's well-positioned to have very profitable interactions during every stage of that customer lifetime journey. So, David, people love to buy but hate when they are sold to. 
How do you think service providers earn the status of a trusted partner and not risk getting labeled as selling? Yeah, it's challenging because it's easy to misinterpret it when I say um, become a sales-oriented service culture. We think we're actually turning the technicians into salespeople. But but that's actually not really what we see or what we mean when, when we're working with our client base to, to use our technology to create that thing that we call a service-oriented uh, service culture or mindset. So let me, let me give you two examples. The, the easiest is perhaps in a B2C environment. Let's say that you're doing any type of residential home work. A lot of times that work is done in an attic or under a deck or in some location where the, the customer isn't readily accessing it. it. It could even be behind a refrigerator and that homeowner might be an older person that's not going to climb back there and, and take a look, oh my God, I see what you're talking about. So there's a lot of situations where the customer is just relying on the service tech to perform the service. They come down, they sign off on it. Maybe they take a credit card payment on the mobile device and away they go. And what we found is by changing the process a little bit, we can actually actually trigger an add-on sale. So say, for example, uh, you're in pest control, you go into an attic and you get in there, you kill, you kill the wasp nest or the bees nest, the bugs nest, whatever it is. You take a picture, you create a, a, a workflow checklist that when the technician has to close out the job, they've got to go to that customer and say, hey, I just want you to um, see what I did. Here you go. This is your attic, and here's this this large, uh, let's say, this wasp nest hanging in the attic. It's totally dead. You don't have to worry about it. It looks ugly and disgusting, I know, up there, but don't worry about it. It's dead. And the homeowner will almost always go, oh, my God, that's horrible. That thing's hanging in my house. And the technician just says, yeah, I can get rid of it if you want. I can bag it up and take it away. I can do it right now. Um, sure, I'd love to. Is it a chart? Yeah, okay. Well, it's 50 bucks. Uh, and sure, okay. They sign off on it. Up the, the technician goes, bags it up, takes it away get signed off like they always do. And what we've actually done is trigger that additional uh, sale, right? It's, it's incremental. We found that there's a high percentage of customers that will do that out on sale. It's not really selling. It's just that we changed the service process uh, and we use technology to force that to happen uh, before the job can be closed out. And that, that same example applies also to a B2B environment where we have we have clients that are using the mobile device uh, and checklists and things like that so that when a technician walks through a building, they're actually asking that technician, do you see other things that should be serviced um, that maybe you yourself as a technician aren't fixing? Maybe they're an HVAC technician, but they see something in the fire and life safety arena that's broken. Well, they create an opportunity on the mobile device right on the fly. It's a very simple thing to do with a few clicks. But that gets triggered back into the back office. It goes over to the account manager for that location. And it then is that account manager's responsibility to follow up. And on top of that, you have a layer of reporting which shows which technicians are upselling, cross-selling, reselling, which are creating opportunities, and which, uh, let's say, account managers in this case, are closing those opportunities. So you're not just reinforcing it at the technician or the salesperson or account management level, but you're carrying it all the way up through management so everyone really sees that there are opportunities. But it's not really what we think of as selling, teaching people to sell. It's really looking at the business processes you're using. So the the strategy that you proposed, did they really work this well the way you explained? Why do you think most organizations still follow, serve the customer well, and they'll naturally buy more type of mantra? Well, uh, you know, change is hard. It requires people to really think differently. And 
I don't, I don't think we can forget that most of service leadership, the management of service, actually came up through the service ranks. There's, there's not that many true service leaders, even at the executive level, that didn't come from the service world itself within our, within service organizations. So to break out of that, they neither need to inject this mindset from an outsider coming in, or they need to be able to think differently themselves. And that's, that's really difficult to do. So the other thing, the, the reason why a lot of our clients are working with us is because we're baking that mentality into the software. And when we do the implementation, we're forcing the software to create this different thought process that shows them the opportunity and pulls them in that direction. So if you have those right ingredients, you have the right people um, that are at least open-minded and you have the right partner supported by the right technology, you can get them to think differently. But, but when you think about it, it's hard because you have this technician that goes out into the field. They're completely on their own in the customer's place of business or in a customer's, a consumer's home. And they're nervous about selling. Maybe they feel uncomfortable about it in the beginning. And on their own, their inclination is going to be just fall back to that old mentality they have, right? So there's got to be this layer of information reporting um, that supports behavioral, I don't want to say modification, but behavioral drives behavioral change at the technician level. And that's what we embed into the mobile device. And it's the two of those that get the technician behaving differently whether or not they're comfortable with it. And then there's a good feedback layer that goes up to management to say which technicians or account managers, customer service rep are actually doing it. Um, so, you know, just giving them a tool isn't enough. You have to educate them. You have to teach the new business process. You have to create the report that shows um, who is or who isn't. You have to at least distribute it because um, those type of reports be out of the box. But you have to distribute it, focus in on it. And senior management has to make this part of the ongoing conversation. It just, when they talk about success and service, it can't just be those traditional metrics. It has to be traditional metrics plus uh, these more progressive type of metrics. So is there a risk of over-engineering the customer service experience or, say, over-enabling sales behavior during service calls? I'm sure there is a risk, but what we would see amongst our client base is that most service companies are really not engineering um, the service interactions at all, certainly not from a sales perspective. Uh, and since so few of them are actually engineering them to begin with, at, at least our client base, when they're adopting technology, that technology is starting to shape them. So it's it's really like they're putting their toe in the water, then they're going a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper, a little deeper, and they're starting to understand that a sales-oriented service culture isn't isn't really this very foreign concept. It isn't like everyone's suddenly going to uh, become a salesperson. It, it isn't really that at all. It's just about taking control of the processes uh, and then slowly changing them um, to be things that uh, generate more service revenue, generate more profitable uh, service revenue. And then it starts to build from there. Then they look at which offerings are more profitable and they, they understand their contracts, warranties and SLAs differently. Uh, and they start to shift their policies and procedures over time to reorient the company more and more. So we don't see a, a huge risk, uh, although there is conceptually one there. As long as you take a very thoughtful, organized approach, um, you turn on, let's say, uh, one feature 
um, after another in a very organized and controlled manner. And, and of course, if you have a good partner that's helping you through that, uh, it really reduces your risk and makes the upside uh, a lot more real. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back and let's discuss what new skills and competencies do we need for service technicians to morph into great salespeople. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Astia International is proud to sponsor this program. Does your service organization shape each service interaction to not just leave customers happy, but also present them with both an opportunity and a valid reason to buy more? Are your field service technicians and engineers empowered and guided through consultative selling? You can achieve all of this with Astia Alliance. Trusted by the world's best service-driven companies and widely recognized as the most capable, connected, and configurable field service management and mobility platform, Astia Alliance drives digital transformation across your entire service operation and creates a sales-oriented service culture that exceeds customer expectations while maximizing profitability. Start your digital transformation today by visiting astia.com. This is CTN Brandcast on CIO Talk Network. Welcome back, listeners. So, uh, David, what new skills and competencies do we need for service technicians to morph into the great salespeople we want them to become? Well, yeah, again, it's misleading when we talk about it that way. It's not sales training, not when it's done really well. What you're really doing is is training them on new processes. And then the management team has really done the work to embed those sales opportunities into the process because there is going to be a resistance amongst the the technicians to go out there and sell. And, you know, they they don't want to go into the customer location and be perceived as always trying to sell them. So what you're, the, the skills that you're trying to give them really is is this understanding that if what they're offering is a value, then it isn't selling at all. Um, so if you if you get a technician thinking about, you know, what are the things that a customer really wants? Well, the customer really does want to save money. They're not just looking to have this asset fixed and good uptime and have a good, pleasant customer experience. They actually really want to save money. So if you can get the relationship into a place where, the technician is not just able to talk about fixing the unit, and they're actually able to expand that and have good conversation with the customer about, well, you know, maybe this overall configuration of HVAC units you have on this rooftop um, actually isn't the most efficient. Or maybe there is a new panel that offers benefits that customer just doesn't have today. Um, so in some of our clients, we actually see that they change the process to force that interaction, to make sure that the technician has a little bit of extra time and checks in with, the, let's say, the supervisor on site, if it's that type of a, an environment, or if it's retail, it might be the front-end supervisor or uh, the plant manager or whoever their main contact is. They actually want the technician to engage with that type of decision-maker on site, building that relationship. And and not every technician is comfortable with that, certainly not the stereotypical and very engineering-oriented technician that got into this because they want to be on their own in a van, they want to go in and fix things and leave. You know, what we're seeing is that 
those type of technicians uh, in a lot of different information, uh, a lot of different industries. Uh, IT is another example where that type of person just isn't as valuable in today's environment. Uh, the same type of person, the technician or even an IT person that has a lot of customer-facing soft skills is really much more valuable because while we have all this, these changes going on to create a more sales-oriented service culture in, in the best service organization, the world-class service organization, at the same time, we have this other big initiative that is all this emerging technology coming in to make technicians more capable. So you're seeing this opportunity to put what we would think of as less experienced technicians out into the field, use emerging technician, technician uh, technology such as augmented reality, artificial intelligence, good knowledge management, give those things to the technician, the less experienced tech, um, so that they are more capable of fixing a wider range of more complicated assets, devices. Um, so you you can look for candidates amongst your technicians that have this other dimension of soft skills that will help. And we, we say it's all about the tech. And at the end of the day, it is when that tech is standing there alone. But don't forget that tech comes back, uh, starts day or ends the day in the workshop. They have a supervisor, that supervisor, manager, there's executives. So the training and the skills need to flow all the way up so we break this traditional mindset and we get that whole chain of command thinking about how are we actively driving our revenue, actively driving our profitability over the long term. Um, and that's where we get into a lot of the control reports that make it really obvious and where the shortcomings are for the supervisor so they can follow up with individual technicians and and help them and mentor them and guide them, but then all the way up at the executive level so they could see which areas of their organization, and it could be a global organization, you know, which, which areas are actually doing really well and which aren't. And then they can pull best practices from where it's working to where it isn't and figure out how to make that work with inside the unique culture of that actual company. And besides people and processes, what changes in the tools and technologies can help with this transformation? And when we are talking about technologies, how can the emerging technologies that we see coming out every day, literally today, how can they help? Yeah, we're starting to 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 touch upon some of these things. So um, I mentioned that we have to have the right reports and information to drive the behavior, especially at the management level, because a lot of the actual decision makers are fairly detached. Um, from the technician level. That doesn't mean that they're not in, in workshop once a quarter or they're not um, out seeing and, and experiencing their service operation, but you know, their, their job is another thing. So if, if you look at our technology, for example, we have a, a very broad full lifecycle field service management platform, and in there is a reporting and BI layer. And that's that's because you have to figure out what is the right information for every person, put it in their hands, and then their boss has to make that part of the ongoing conversation. Um, they have to hold them accountable to it, to be honest. Uh, it's the one way to really drive change. So information, uh, whether we, we call it reporting or business intelligence, dashboards, scorecards, all those things become very valuable tools for each person if we're going to start to change behavior, let them know how they're doing with this change. Um, we even push it out to the mobile device, right? A technician can see their own performance in comparison to their 
peer group. It's what we call gamification today. Uh, and it works very, very effectively. There's a real hard ROI on that when it's done with a technician. And and there are a lot of things being deployed to the technician. I, I mentioned a few of them. Augmented reality, um, AI or machine learning, um, live chats. All this falls under what we would call knowledge management. And, and knowledge management has to be available across the entire platform, whether it's a mobile app that the tech is using, uh, a customer portal where they interact with customer service, um, uh, a, a, a mobile workforce management tool that a manager can actually go out into the field and see their team level activities, the back office with your schedules and dispatch, your customer service, even your finance and logistics people. Um, knowledge management, by our definition, is very, very broad and includes a lot of these emerging technologies. But the intent of all of them is to make uh, to make and to give people access to the information they need in real time, whether that's something on a report or an augmented reality session with a much more experienced technician that's working uh, in a in a back office service center waiting for that call. And what are the potential pitfalls as you go on this journey? Well. Um, I like to say the real the real pitfall here is the bigger picture. If if you're in your company and you're listening to this, if you don't do it, and one of your competitors does, uh, it really puts your company instantly behind the curve. There's such a first mover advantage with a company that does this because it's going to take another another organization quite a bit of time to figure out how to solve the same problem. If they come out today, it's going to take you a, a journey. Right to to figure out how to become more sales and service oriented, and you're never going to catch up. So what they'll start to do is offer better experience. They're going to be offering better contract types out into the market. Those are going to start to steal your customer base. And even where you have good relationships, what you're going to see is they're they're going to start to erode. So not doing it is the real risk because you could try to create this new culture within your service organization and. You might make mistakes, right? You might oh, say, oh, my God, I wish a technician hadn't said that or done that or that really doesn't fit, and they, they made a mistake. But if you have good relationships with your customers, small mistakes are not the thing that's going to kill um, organizations. It, it is these large directional changes where an organization doesn't see it coming, they get behind the curve, and their competition leaves them behind, and they're struggling. A lot of companies don't make they, they don't make that journey to catch up. Uh, that, that's where they they just too far behind because um, they don't appreciate how complex it is. So the pitfall is not starting because this is where service is going. And let's talk about the leadership style. What leadership style service leaders must embrace to enable this transformation? Yeah, it's much more team-oriented in these in these world class service organizations than we traditionally think service was kind of an island for many organizations especially if it was a manufacturer that then had service service was an afterthought so amongst these great service organizations you know service is their world they might still sell assets that they themselves manufacture or or buy from a key manufacturer um but for most of them, they understand that it's service that's going to be their differentiator. There's increasingly more profitable service revenue models um, compared to, to, to asset sales. And it requires them to put different people around the table 
in more of what we might call a matrix matrix organizational approach um, that that we often didn't have in in service. So you've got a customer service leader at the table talking about customer experience. You've got that service person talking about efficiency of the operation. You've got a business analyst talking about what's right, a manager or a leader of account management that's talking about how do we maximize revenue and profit from each of these accounts. Um, And then it might push all the way back into um, even manufacturing, product development, design, when, when you start thinking about smart technology, the Internet of, Internet of Things and connected devices, you know, the, the, the service world is now the center of many of these companies, uh, and, and they have to have a hand in the strategy of the organization in a way that they never did before. So, David, let's talk about Estia. What is Estia doing to learn and innovate in this area and differentiate from the other field service management solution providers and for that matter, how are you becoming a thought leader and go-to resource in this space? Well, Stia has been in field service management uh, for nearly 40 years. Uh, everyone in the, in the service space, uh, almost anyone in the world would know us. Uh, and I think, I think we've established ourselves as thought leaders in the go-to resource. And that's pretty well known even if uh, you're not on Stia technology for some reason. And I think there's two things that are really driving that. The first is that we have the luxury of a great customer base of organizations that are truly service-driven uh, or organizations that know that's what they need to be, and they understand that by partnering with us, we can really get them there. So when you're dealing with this class of customers and, and world-class organizations, they're never going to sit back. They are constantly coming to us, talking to us about their strategy, what our role is in it, how our technology can help them get there. Um, and we've created a relationship with them where we are their trusted advisor. Uh, I mentioned I was just down in Asia-Pac with one of the customers sitting in a workshop. Uh, that's what we frequently do with our customers. We're in the room with them at their strategy. There's some service summit strategy meetings, and we're just another player at the table saying, have you thought about this? Have you looked at it this way? Technology can help push you in this direction. Because we're, we're constantly getting pushed by our client base to expand um, the technology. And, and anyone who knows the STIA knows that we're not lax when it comes to development. And, and I think the other part of it is that Service is what we do. Um, it doesn't take you long when you interact with any of the employees within Estia, anywhere in the world, to understand that these are people that understand service. Uh, because this is really all we do. Uh, all of our folks come to work each day focused on service. We are not uh, an add-on afterthought to an ERP. We are not the build-out on a manufacturing application that wanted to push into service. We're not an extension of CRM um, because they needed somewhere to grow into. We are the broadest and deepest service management platform in the industry and help create and define what field service management mobility software actually is. So we really can't help ourselves but but think and breathe service day in and day out. Um, so for all of us, um, it's really become a passion for what we do. And um, we fall quite easily into this leadership role within the industry of not just saying where technology should be going, but also how do we help as a partner with our service group in helping organizations to think and do some of the things that we talked about today um, that might be outside the norm for them. You know, this is not just uh, a technology question. It's about how you apply technology and the organization you choose to partnership, uh, choose to partner with to become 
um, that great world-class service organization has to be there to help you along the way. And, and I think that's what we strive to be and certainly what our client base would say that we are. Once again, thank you, David, for sharing your thoughts and insights about how organizations can reimagine service to maximize revenue and profitability. Thanks for having me today. It was great talking with you. Thanks once again. And listeners, I invite you to find related conversations on our website at ciotalknetwork.com. This is CTN Brandcast on CIO Talk Network. This CTN Brandcast is brought to you by Astia.